Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for June has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-Fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Merlin Mann. I don't think he needs a lot of introduction. Uh, He is, what would you say you are, Merlin? Oh, a man about town. Whoever I need to be. I'm just thrilled to be here for the big anniversary. Can I? Yes, this is episode 100. And, and I specifically, I tapped you like, uh, that sounded wrong. Um, yeah. I, I, I emailed you, uh, what was it, uh, probably a month ago. Yeah. And said, I, I wanted you on for episode 100. And can I tell you that there are maybe, I think, three people that I would love to have on the podcast and you are in that top three and the other two are unattainable for me. Wow. That's a compliment, right? It is because like number, number two would be Dessa. Uh, she's a, a hip hop artist that I love. And, uh, the other one would be, let's say, uh, Chris Hardwick, Chris Hardwick. He's very talented. He is. He's awesome. And I actually had uh, Rob Cordry emailed him on my behalf to say he should be on the show. And I still I haven't heard. But I understand because he's got at midnight and all these crazy. Uh, I think he's really, really busy. He is. That's yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. I don't. Well, take it I, I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be third. I mean, you know, I'm finishing uh, in the money, as they say. Well, you, you, you are first, actually. Oh, you're first. Those other two come after you. So it's great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. I really I enjoy your show a lot. And uh, it's, you know, I like you. So what can I say? Uh, thanks. So I missed you at WWDC, though. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, you're going to be a gentleman about it, right? You're not going to say why? What? Well, I, no, I mean. You are a gentleman. You got locked out of a party through no fault of your own or anyone else's. It was just a mix up. You walked 18 blocks and then you didn't even get to come in and have any meatballs. Yeah, this is this is the case, yes. And I didn't fly in until Tuesday, so I guess Victor saw you Monday night. Yes. But I wasn't there for that and then yeah, I mean it's half my fault. I didn't I didn't uh didn't go out of my way to find you because things got really busy, but I did miss I, you. I, I love thank you. I, I love events like this, like WWDC or Macworld or any of those kinds of conferences. I love them, but I also find them extremely stressful. Because, you know, even if you're in like a dedicated hotel room, steps away from everybody, it's it's still really flummoxing. Like there's so many people you want to see. I was telling Dan about this on Back to Work today that, you know, it, I find things like that frustrating because there's so many people I want to see, so many people who are my friends at a certain remove. And I feel like I, feel like I see people for 45 second, seconds every one to two years. And there's a lot of pressure, maybe pressure I put on myself, but I, I want to catch up with everybody, but I don't have time to catch up with even one person, really. <laughs> and you're I, just like running around going, hey, I'll see you later at the thing or whatever. And it's, yeah, call me. Yeah, facts, my gal. It, it's, it's very, it's very stressful. But it was an. Ex- I mean, gosh, at least you got some exciting announcements this year, huh? Yeah. Well, before we move on to announcements, I would say I actually scheduled my time to the point where I would talk to someone for thirty minutes, and then be like, "Well, uh, I got to run because I had another appointment," and it it was. I don't know. It felt rude the entire you'd make, time. You'd make a you'd make a very good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> your hours up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I actually got to see probably 60 to 70% of the people that I had planned to see. 
and and my sincere apologies to the rest. But I, I felt like scheduling it was the only way to actually connect with the number of people I wanted to connect with. Right. Yeah. So that's frustrating. Yeah, it, it is the only way. I mean, there's people that I, I pass by at, at parties that like <clears throat> I've been pals with for years. I, I didn't. We didn't even like acknowledge each other because you know there's like. There's, you know, dozens of people, but that, that's a good thing. I mean, that's an embarrassment of riches yes. to have so many people you'd, you know, you'd like to be able to talk to. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get my quality Syracuse the time that I was really looking for. <laughs> uh, I, I think everybody, like, everybody wants to cuddle with John. I feel like the Matt community is especially open in that regard. Like everyone just so many friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So as far as announcement goes, w- announcements go with proper pluralization and conjugation, what, uh, what, what, what piqued your interest this year? Uh, there's a lot to like, I think just in general, the tone, uh, and the feel of, of the keynote, it was not, not just to say in terms of performance, although I think it was very polished and really, as everyone has noted, very relaxed, which was nice. I mean, I think that they, the folks who were presenting at WWDC seemed very confident and I think they had reason to be, they had great announcements. They didn't need to announce a, an eye ring or anything like that. Right. They just, they, but I mean, it was, it, as a lot of people have noted, it was pretty amazing how much stuff they gave like one or two slides to that could have been half an hour. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, I think they were s- smart and canny about going into the kinds of things like continuity that they knew would be a big hit with people. Um, I don't know how they managed to get the Swift stuff happening without anybody finding out. <laughs> be amazing. But, but overall, I mean, as I, I, you know, I'm an Apple person. When, when people talk about Apple fanboys or Apple this or Apple that, well, that's all I use. All I use is Apple stuff, you know? Um, what that says about my personality, I would leave to the listener. But the fact is, like, I my my um, my fortunes stand or fall with how well Apple is executing. And for the last year, I think I've I've had a tough year with Apple stuff, and uh, a lot of my previously unshakable something like twenty five years of confidence in what they do has started to feel real shaky. As lots of my stuff is just not working like I expected. Um, <clears throat> sometimes not working at all for no apparent reason. But I mean. I feel like this was very – this gave me more confidence at least – certainly I, I will give Apple a lot of credit just on the strength because of their track record. Um, and I, I think there was enough here to say to the world, to the developers, to their users that they still care a lot about making something really good. The proof will be in the pudding. There's so much stuff that hangs on this cloud implementation. Uh, I think there's a lot of places that could go tits up, but I have every confidence that they'll work it out. So that made me feel good. I mean, there's, I mean, where do you begin to talk about specifics? But just in general, they they really they they closed a lot of dumb holes. They fixed a lot of uh, apparently are fixing a lot of their blind spots, and they are finally at last, I think, showing the kind of respect for their development community that's been overdue for years. They made the doc look like what I've always hacked my doc to look like. <laughs> Did you I, paint an extra smiley smiley face on the Finder in the past? <laughs> Um, no, just the, the 2d transparent doc. I, I, I know it's, it's a finite detail, but, but I really enjoy that. And in the, in the keynote, the phone call from mom prior to the phone call to Dr. Dre, I feel like that was really well executed stagecraft. The like passing on the call. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and getting the big, ah, from the audience and everything like that you could do a keynote without the audience interaction, but to, uh, to instigate it like that, I find to be a good legacy, you know, for Apple keynotes after Steve. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I want to get back to the fanboy thing in a little bit because that's 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 a point of annoyance for me lately. But uh, but Swift, I feel like, and I've heard I've heard a lot of negative reactions, which is to be expected. But overall, the fact that Apple is uh, kind of cleaning up their legacy of Objective C and providing something entirely new, and this might be because I haven't really dug in and discovered limitations yet. But overall, I'm really excited to be learning a new language. Yeah, I, so you've messed around with uh, with Swift and the was I've it the new the book. Is it, okay, <clears throat> and the playground is part of Xcode. Is that right? Uh, that's beyond my current scope of experience. But as a developer, you can you can read the book and it seems sensible. Yeah, yeah, as, uh, yeah. Reading the book, it all it all made great sense, and it correlates with all of the scripting languages that I've used before and, and the high level languages, um, which is which is excellent to me. Um, I've never found Objective C ex- especially intuitive. Mm-hmm. Like I've always figured it out, but but this yeah, this flow is better for me. And uh, I I have I have cloned a bunch of repos that have propped up on GitHub, but I haven't actually dug into code, and I haven't actually downloaded the latest version of Xcode yet. So that mm-hmm. is that is to be determined. Well, I mean, you know, I just maybe to repeat myself, though, I just feel like they, I don't know. See, I, I'm always, I, the thing is, I, unlike a lot of people who love Apple stuff, I'm just as skeptical of Apple's announcements as I am of anybody else's announcements. When sure. it comes out and it's great, I'll love it. I, I you know, I, I'm kind of, just, there's, I kind of hate both sides of the fanboy thing. <laughs> sure. I think it's sometimes very unfair what, what people say, but I think that's really true on both sides. And a lot of our, us and our friends that love Apple stuff don't apply the same level of scrutiny to Apple that they point so uh, unerringly at all these other places. I mean, that was a lot of announcements, and it looks good. But, I mean, especially with the cloud stuff, I, I really I want to see how it goes. I, and, you know, it would be nice to sit here and say, I don't have a single doubt in the world that it'll be anything but perfect, except in as much as it hasn't been perfect. It's been a, it's been sure. a mess. And, and the, 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 I guess I feel like they staunched the flow of blood, and that's what's important because just – the, the frustrations that I and a lot of other people have had with depending on services inside of Apple. Um, I mean, I guess at a certain point, you know, after the iMac stuff or, you know, dot .Mac, sorry, dot .Mac stuff, you got kind of used to going like, oh, well, Apple, they're silly. You can't really, it's not going to be as solid as Google. But at the point when like my, my iPhone 5S has just been pretty wonky on uh, iOS 7, it's, it's had a lot of stuff that uh, is super confusing and not uh, typical of the Apple polish in the past. So, you know, I, I, I guess all I'm saying is it feels to me like they're correcting a very unfavorable trend line. Yeah. And, and if, if the execution is there, I, I feel like I now, at least I know the care is there. They're, they're not just staying tight lipped. I think it's, I think it's unconscionable, honestly, how long iOS seven stayed as screwed up as it was. <laughs> it, I, I'm, I, you know, I was about to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. That's unconscionable. How long people said, Oh wait, they'll fix it. Well, I use this every day. I've got right. like five iOS devices and they're all really screwed up in different ways. So I'm glad they finally fixed that. I hope it continues to get better. The, the thing that's encouraging though is that clearly they do care and clearly they have been spending their time on something that's going to make, potentially make life better for all of us. So we'll see how it, how it turns out. But 
What I will say, and I don't want to jump in with the, as you say, Apple fanboy camp, but anybody who can't look at that keynote and see something at least a little bit amazing about a post-Steve Jobs Apple, they weren't really watching. Because the stuff that they're coming up with is extremely innovative and extremely exciting. For stuff, people who use this stuff, it was a, it was a fantastic event. Right. Uh, see, I take, I take all keynotes from anybody as kind of a campaign stump speech where you don't know for sure how the implementation is going to come out if it comes out. Uh, but with Apple, I have a little more faith than I do with your average politician. Uh, they, you know, they have a, they have a proven track record of following through with what they say. Cloud services have always been, you can't try to take over something like Dropbox and, and provide an inferior implementation when Dropbox is already so widely accepted and used by so many applications. Mm-hmm. To offer an alternative, it has to be as solid as Dropbox. And I don't know if I have the faith in Apple's, you know, quote unquote cloud services to really pull that off. Well, if there's anything we've learned from iCloud, I put that in just innumerable numbers of air quotes because iCloud is so many different things. It's not like there's one room full of people called iCloud. It touches so many different things. And the example I always turn to is Siri. Thinking about how what what must be involved in having Siri work the way you expect uh, quickly. If you really, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but I, I know that there's like probably at least three or four things that can go wrong with Siri. You know, starting with me maybe not hitting the button right. But then, you know, did it get what I said? I don't know. Okay, was it able to get it up to the cloud? I don't know. If it got up to the cloud, did it understand what I said? I don't know. If it got up to the cloud and understood what I said, will it understand that I meant this list rather than that list? Or will it just return an apparently random string of dictionary words and I have no idea why? <laughs> so, but what I'm saying is each one of those things, if you just stop for a second and look at it, I don't, I don't think there's like one person that's working on all four or however many pieces of that there are. There, you know, what's happening on your phone with the software? What's happening on your phone with the hardware? What's happening in getting that up into the cloud? To be, do, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I do. It's just that we, we all, when we say a word like iCloud, that's virtually meaningless. That's, uh, it's, it's a brand name, but there's, there's so many complicated things that have to happen under the hood for something even as seemingly simple as like saving a document in Solver and having it show up on different devices. Think about all the authentication and all the storage and then replicating that in different places. You know, it's, it's an incredibly complicated problem. I so I'm, I'm sympathetic on that. And I, I do hope it goes well because I think something like, I'm sorry to rant, but the stuff like, you know, something everybody's been struggling with for so long. Okay, Apple made it easy for us to take pictures. Then they made it easy to take really good pictures. And then they made it easy to take really good pictures and video and all of this. And I've never had any confidence at all that, you know, basically I have felt like the one person curator for all of that stuff. I have to get it into iPhoto. I have to back it up. Is iPhoto really like getting my videos? I feel like I still have to back those up manually with phone view. And, you know, for the kind of person that they're trying to attract, they've got the part of the curve where all the nerds are going to buy these devices, they really are now, their growth, I think, is going to be in non-nerds who don't want to have to think about off-site rotations. So what do you do to make sure that their photos are going to be safe? That's To me, the, uh, what they do with photos becomes the nexus for what's going to be interesting for a consumer Wait, in terms so, of Apple So stuff. you don't use Dropbox's automatic camera download? I did. And then I did for whatever, I mean, I tried it for a while. And then sometimes if it was interrupted, it would start again and start from the beginning and start getting all my photos over from the beginning. Uh, yeah. So I, I had all these had like, that. so, you know, again, could be pilot error, but I know I'm very excited. I have to be excited, Brett. It's like, this is what I use. I don't have any <laughs> choice. 
I don't get to say that I'm going to go buy this, you know, Samsung pizza platter and call that my phone. This is what I use. So in some ways, I am an even more difficult customer than somebody who's thinking about moving there because I have to use it. It has to work. Right. You know, this, I have a lifetime lease with Apple, so I really need them to take care of the property. So here's the thing about this fanboy idea. Yeah. Is I think people have a screwed up definition of what a fanboy is. When you talk to like, I guess it's not even anti-Apple people. It's just non Apple people, they have this idea that anyone who professes to like Apple is a fanboy. And to me, a fanboy has to be fanatical. And to call any developer, anybody who actually develops for the platform a fanboy seems entirely misguided. Like these are people who are actually using and building for the, for, you know, the company, for the platform. And I think of all people who would know what's good and bad about a platform, it would be the developers. And I've seen throughout the course of WWDC, the reactions across, you know, Twitter and Facebook for, you know, whatever stock you put in that. It's been very uh, a bunch of fanboys kind of stuff. And that's very frustrating to me. But what's really frustrating is this. I constantly hear this line that. Apple users are trained to buy a device and then expect or look forward to uh, a better device in nine months. And I don't understand the problem. With, <laughs> whereas, whereas most people are trained to buy whatever they're presented and not care that it sucks. Right, exactly. And and to... to They've been beaten down in their expectations so that they, they dare not dream that big. Right. So what's the problem with a company that has established a history of releasing something amazing every year? And and understanding that in order to keep up with all the other amazing, you have to buy a product, but you can always look forward to something that blows your mind coming out a year later. Yeah. I don't understand the uh, – I don't understand what's wrong with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean that those kinds of names and words don't harm me uh, like they once did. But part of that also is just that one of my favorite byproducts of growing up just a little bit – is that I've learned to have a really big silo in my life called that's just not for me. And there's all kinds of stuff in the world that's just not for me. And it was never intended for me. It doesn't make me a good or bad person to feel a certain way about it, but it's just that's not for me. And I, I think it's a little bit of a pity that, that we can't all get better about just understanding that there's some things that aren't for us. But, you know, Apple stuff is expensive. It's high status. It people the people who love it love it a lot and talk about it a lot and I think that I think as somebody who's been of who's been around people who are a fan of a certain fanatical about a certain kind of media property it becomes a din you get sick of it and I think that's why people take shots you know I think they just get but you know I mean I think there's one simple maybe too simple uh, maybe too easy a test of, of a fan fan person which is you know change the names. In, in the transaction and see if your reaction is different. Like, I'll, here's what I'll say. I'll say that if you are a harsh, incredibly harsh critic of all these dark, bad companies that do all this stuff and you're like, you would never believe that anything that any company would say or you would not believe that it's entirely correct or complete or accurate, you know, well, is there one company that you feel that way about where you would not give that credit to other companies? Well, you might be a fanboy, might not. But if you're the kind of person who reads who reads the headline and doesn't bother reading the rest of the article before you comment, like to me, that's <laughs> something where like if you you can become very 
you start associating yourself and your personality and your ego in some ways with a certain brand, with a certain logo. So, you know, I think, I think that's one test is just, you know, whatever, you know, why would you be so much less critical? If you're uncritical in general, that's great. But if you're super duper critical of all, every company but one, then I think that's an indication. I don't, fanboy's a dumb word and it's such a, you know, emotionally, charged word yeah but, but you that know. defines it for me that's that's a, a that's a very rational definition of a fanboy is not so much how they feel about one company but how they feel about all the other companies yeah like everybody else is is essentially incapable because you're of, looking through like rose tinted glasses at that point and that's fanboyism yeah i mean it's there's probably more to it than that but that's i think that's that's a good shorthand and it's why you know i I don't know. I, I hate to sound like I'm ragging on my friends, but I just I feel like sometimes people are out there shooting fish in a barrel. Every time Samsung or Google or Microsoft or anybody says anything, everybody rolls their eyes at, at these people who are so manifestly incapable of ever making anything good. Instead of just saying that's not for me, no, it's like it's a zero sum game. Like I I I can't win this unless everybody else loses. And really, who cares? You know, it's just a matter of like what what works for you in some ways. But I think it's also just natural, if, especially if you're like me. And like I say, I don't have other options. I don't have Android stuff. So, I mean, I'm in a funny position because I need it to work. Uh, I hope that it will work. And when it doesn't work, I, I don't have the option of just going and grabbing this other thing and using it. And actually, in one of my picks today, I, I want to highlight that contrast a little bit. You know, I, my Apple TV is so important to like how our family has historically been so important to how our family does stuff. We have invested so heavily in Apple because of the Apple TV. We have bought over 100 movies on uh, iTunes. So when I'm bitching about iTunes, I have, I have skin in the game. It isn't just that I want Apple to look bad. It's just that if I bought Harry Potter and we can't watch it, it takes 20 minutes of me restarting the Apple TV to get it to work. Well, what else am I going to do? Um, you know, I can't, I'm going to file a radar, you know? Right. So anyway, but I, I take your point. I think everybody gets so emotional about these things and you know how it is, you know, you know how it is with emotional stuff. The more dug in you get on something emotionally, the more you feel like you have to be dug in, you when, know? When the Surface commercials first came out, yeah, my reaction was that I wanted to get one and try it. And to be fair, no one has ever to my face called me a fanboy, but when someone else comes up with something innovative or that appears innovative at the least, I'm curious about it. Like I want to know, I, I don't discount it just because it's not from my company of choice. And, and I think that's it. That's it's the same distinction, but it's an important distinction. I think, I think you're onto something and, and let's, let's, let's pull out one very specific example from the last week. Um, I, I think you'd have to be a little bit dim or a little bit out of the loop to not acknowledge that Apple is coming up with some really cool and polished ideas for iOS that, to a large extent, um, have a genesis in Android devices. Yeah. There's lots of stuff that Android has been doing better for a while. Oh, yeah, and that was true last time with iOS 7, too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, stuff, but to me, that's so funny how you could choose to look at that. You could either choose, you know, there's many ways, but two, two basic dumb ways, I think, <laughs> or, you know, kind of ignorant ways. One way is to go, oh, Apple, now they're copying Android. And well, no, they're trying to make a better thing and they're learning from that. Wouldn't you want to congratulate somebody when they grow a little bit? It's I like, would. It's like accusing politicians of flip flopping when all they actually did was change their stance in light of new information. 
Yeah. And then the, so the corollary then being people on the Apple side who are going, oh, well, Android never did that or they never did that well or, or boo, why are you yelling well, at me? Well, see, and the latter point there, I mean, a lot of what, uh, a lot of the innovations that Apple could be said to have stolen, quote unquote, from Android, they took an idea and they, they made it usable. They made it work. And that's, that's generally what I appreciate. And that's not true of everything in that category. But overall, things like Notification Center, I feel like Apple really took it to the next level and, and they evolved the idea. Yes. And now yes, I sound like yes. a fanboy again. No, no, no. It's just, um, I, let, let, let me give a very, very high level thing here that's really way beyond computers. But when you look at other people, and you just look at stuff in the world, there's, there's many different ways that you can choose to evaluate and, and judge people in life. And I, I worry sometimes that, we're, that as a culture, we're becoming more and more hardened in our positions on things that we tend to just want to try to figure out everybody in the world who's bad today, why that is, and who will join me in choosing to pillory them. I kind of feel like every day is a new lynch mob. And I... I, under, I think I understand why people feel that way. People have lots of reasons to be frustrated or to feel disenfranchised. There's all kinds of reasons why people feel. It's just that that din has become so loud that I think it's, I think it's worth remembering that, you know, whether it's the people in your life or the people who aren't in your life, you know, there's two ways that you can look at things. I mean, you could choose to look at people everybody else as being the way they are because they're bad people. Or you could choose to say, like, congratulations to you for trying something different. You know, congratulations to you for failing sometimes. Like, you're doing something different. You're trying to get better. And so, but, you know, but that conversation, we can't begin to have those kinds of conversations as long as everybody's so dug in on what their favorite brand of phone is. And it's like, in the grand scheme of things, when we're all in a box or an urn, that's going to seem like so weird and small, like nobody cares what phone you had when you were alive. And it's like the, the amount of psychic energy that goes into people's emotions about that stuff is, is baffling to me sometimes. And that's why I love this big silo over here that says not for me. Yeah, no, I get it. I, uh, you, you said bad people. And that's funny because I, uh, I think yesterday, yeah, it was yesterday. I spent a good 30 minutes contemplating what a bad person is. And realized, at least for me, that everybody has their own moral compass. Everyone has their own standards and and what they consider good and bad. And you could probably find what you think is the worst person in the world. And this is, I'm sorry, this is tangential, but. No, not at all. You're, you're right in my wheelhouse right now, buddy. <laughs> you could probably find that a person that you consider the worst person in the world. And they would probably be able to say, well, I think I'm basically a good person. Because their definition of good doesn't match your definition of good. Right. And I find that, I, I mean, at that point, you have to say there are no bad people. There are only people with differing moral guidelines than you. But at the same time, like I started thinking this because I'm, as a kid, I was like, there are no bad people, just, just you know, misguided, uh, socially influenced people that do bad things. And as I as I got to the age I'm at now, I've decided there really are some bad people that will always do bad things. But then I started wondering, you know, like, where is, where's the actual moral line? I, d I don't know. Well, I'll just give a suggestion. This is a very interesting topic to me. I'll give a suggestion to your listeners and to you is to go, go look up fundamental attribution error on, on Wikipedia. Um, 
I mean, the way that I would the way that I would summarize this, and I, anybody who's heard Back to Work has heard me say this a dozen times, but I think there's a certain kind of cognitive bias that a lot of us have as a default, our snap two mode, and, unless we make ourselves mindfully think otherwise, which is that everybody else does stuff because they are bad, evil, misguided, make terrible decisions, and are just fundamentally not good people. And I'm the way I am because I have my reasons. I think that's that. If you want to try and summarize, like that's super reductive, but I think that that is a model worth remembering all the time. Is that everybody has their reasons for being how they are, and in the case of this fundamental attribution error, people's tendency to place an undue emphasis on internal characteristics to explain someone else's behavior in a given situation, rather than considering external factors. And you know, it's there's there's all kinds of things related to that in cognitive biases, but that's something I've really tried to always keep in mind. Is that you know. Uh, there's all, yeah, yeah, but there probably are bad people. There may be evil people. I don't know, but I, I certainly wouldn't evaluate that based on how, <laughs> how they feel about a phone. <laughs> because, you know, I, the one thing in Buddhist, I don't want to say Buddhist stuff, but in mindfulness, there's an idea that's really been obsessing me in the last few months. You know, in, in mindfulness, there's this idea of trying to separate experience from your relationship to the experience, which I find such an interesting idea. It's something that goes back to Back to Work. The second, I think the second episode, maybe, or third episode of Back to Work was called The Second Arrow which is kind of a Buddhist parable. But I, I'm just very interested in this idea that there's things that happen in the world, like irrespective of me and what I'm into and what kind of day I'm having. And then there's how I feel about that. And I think it's very natural for us to be much more inclined toward our relationship with an experience than the experience itself. And that's why something that should be a really fun thing can become a not fun thing because you start attaching all these things to it about what it means how, how the world feels about you and how you feel about the world. Real hippie up in the tree stuff. But I find myself being a slightly more plugged in person when I remember that experience is just experience. And then I can choose a million different ways to turn that into a catastrophe. And, you know, it sounds like very reductive, but I don't know. That gives me peace in life to, to keep that in mind and to try and be sympathetic. I sound like such a fruit. No. Try to be more sympathetic toward people who are just having a different relationship with that experience than I am. And I, do I need to change them? No, probably not. I don't need to do anything. I, I, I need to not get so wound up in my own habitual thinking about something that it starts to seem real. Because at that point, when things start to seem real, that's when you start wondering who's good and bad. When really everybody's, everybody's just struggling with the same pile of crap every day, they're just doing it in a different car, in a different uniform, and in a different country. And that's, I don't know. People are all just basically screwed up in extremely similar ways. And as, <laughs> Freud, as Freud has demonstrated, I mean, that we basically spend much of our lives trying to figure out why our version of screwed up is more ethically valid than somebody else's. Right. And, and I think your, your sympathetic approach is extremely, I think it exhibits a high level of maturity that, uh, that a lot of, I mean, I meet, I meet 70, 80 year old people that never reached that level of maturity and they got stuck. And I, I fight it every day, dude, though. I mean, this is to me, this is like, this is like the person who doesn't want to admit that they love potato chips more than anything in the world. <laughs> I can sit here and talk about the health benefits of not eating potato chips, but they're kind of always sitting on my mental shelf. That saying this to you in some ways can hopefully <laughs> help me to be less awful in that way <laughs> today. Maybe <laughs> I get it. I get it. All right. We should take a sponsor break. Um, yeah, Squarespace. Ding. All right. So this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com 
and use the offer code five by five. Merlin, have you you have you built a website on Squarespace? Squarespace is a is is an internet service. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, I heard they're popular with the 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 uh, podcast crowd. Here's the biggest problem with Squarespace is that there is there are it's sort of like the uh, WWDC keynote. There's so much stuff that's great about Squarespace that I think it's easy to lose it in the lights trying to explain to somebody why it's such a great thing. I had to go in and, you know, because there are so many great things about it, as I'm sure you'll enumerate. But like in my case today, I went in to make one quick change to a page. You know, I don't know how many people know the escape trick. You know the escape trick, I'm sure. On Squarespace? Yeah. I'm going to pretend I do. <laughs> go to your site. Go to go to any Squarespace site where you have a login for it. Go to the public facing page, any page on that site, and when you're on that page, hit the escape key. In the escape key, if you're logged in, well, if you're not logged in, it'll tell you to log in. And if you are logged in, it'll take you directly to editing for that page. So if you're on your own page and you see something you want to change, you hit the escape key and that's it. And then when you're ready to go back, you hit the escape key again. That's all you have to do. I hacked that into my old WordPress site. I had that (laughs) hacked in there. And that is awesome to hear that they do that. Well, that's the kind of thing where they, they're not just some company pumping out features and, and benefits. They're actually making a product that makes it easy for normal people to put their stuff up. And I, I, really, I really cherish that. They're all, everything that they add is to make stuff a little easier and a little bit less complicated. And if something is not so simple or is a little complicated, they put it over here. And the folks who want to nerd out on that can go customize their CMS. They can customize the advanced settings for all that stuff. But I love the idea that you know, even if this product is not for you today, there's somebody you know that this product is for. That's why I always say, please look for the people in your church group, the people <laughs> at, at your work, the people who, do, who want something more than Facebook in their life, but they don't want to have to go install their own server somewhere. It really is. It's, it's great for everybody. Yeah, well, I I say it's great for potential content creators who don't currently have an outlet because the internet needs solid, mature content creators. Um, But, I mean, you know me. I I hack my own version of Jekyll to build a static site that I generate from scratch on my computer and upload. Um, So I'm not a regular Squarespace user, but it is where I send just about everybody who asks me – what they should be using for a blog or a website or even an e-commerce platform. Um, uh, Squarespace makes your site automatically look great on any device because every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design. And you can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many more web service and social platforms. Um, Squarespace also has e-commerce built into their platform, like I said. So if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can in just a few minutes. And if you've ever played with e-commerce software, you know that an easy way to do it is uh, you'll be grateful for it. (laughs) Um, It's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team, which is located in New York City and Dublin, and they're available 24-7 for live chat and email support. So like I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free with no credit card. And if you decide to purchase, plans start at just $8 a month, including a domain name if you sign up for a year. Make sure you get your 10% off and support the show by using the offer code 5x5. So a big thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. Can I tell you a quick anecdote? Absolutely. When Squarespace, I think it was around the time Squarespace 6 came out, whenever it was, they introduced the thing where if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. And so as an experiment... Um, Dan and I went in and 
went from loading the website to getting into getting a Squarespace account to registering a domain and the entire thing we were creating content in less than 10 minutes. I think in Dan's case it was 7 minutes. That that's that's what you're facing. <laughs> Imagine any other service that you could say that about. I don't want to go on about it, but like I just want to make sure people know that like if you've got a buddy out there who needs some help with this, you could be about 10 minutes away from them putting their stuff on the web and I don't know if you can say that for too many other sites. To be fair, I've set up my website that I currently run mm-hmm. in uh just under 6 months. <laughs> Oh yeah, well you got more custom code. Uh, it's all custom code, but and those I key to... bindings, those key bindings probably kept erasing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I tried your key bindings for an hour once, and I You're was not supposed to use them all. <laughs> I'm such a I'm a, such a Brett fanboy that I went in and did it, and like oh my god, it was it was a nightmare. I, I was hitting keys, and I don't know what was happening. It was terrible. You're supposed to look through the list and figure out what would actually be useful to you, and then modify the key bindings to things that are intuitive for you. But yeah, that's a lot to ask of the uh, of anyone but me. I think that's the most bleeding edge I think I have ever gotten with uh, the Terpster <laughs> technologies. Oh man, I'm so used to most of mine that I can't use anyone's computer without at least hitting two or three of them while I'm editing text. Oh, I, I 100%. And between launch bar and custom key commands, and you, you turned me on to better touch tool, there's so many things where I, I sound like an idiot because I'll explain something really amazing to someone and then try to tell them how I did it, and I have absolutely no recollection of how I did it. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Uh, launch bar, man. Uh, version 6 is out tomorrow. Oh. I, I, shouldn't, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to share that. I think I am. It has been here. public. I think yeah, I'm still on five. Yeah, no, I've been I've been beta testing version six for a few months now, and it's awesome. Like you mm. know you know how uh, Alfred lets you return XML from a script and gives let let you create the menu. Wow. Yeah, you can do that now. So you can have you can run a script in like an action in Launch Bar, and the response from that script can actually create multiple menu items. That then pop down in Launch like Bar custom, style. Custom interface. Yeah. Jeez, that's yeah. incredible. It's I, it's a it's a terrific app. I mean, they're all great. I mean, again, they really are. Pick really the one are. that works for you. I mean, don't get mad because we said Launch Bar. <laughs> like whichever one works for you, but boy, find one of them and use it because what a time saver that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And what do you think about the new Spotlight? What I do you think, think about it's that? I think it's outstanding. I don't think it will replace Launch Bar for me. No. But no. I am really glad to see Apple really developing that interface because Spotlight. If I had to give one tip to new Mac users, it would be to use Spotlight, like from the get-go. Right. Launching applications, finding your documents, sorting through all of your, you know, your tags and things like that. Which, by the way, I'm really excited. Apple didn't specifically talk about tags during the keynote, mm-hmm. but they did mention them multiple times in regards to syncing over iOS, over to iOS from your Mac. Wow. And, uh, and so they're finally putting that to some use. Exactly. And, and this is what I predicted. It's the only prediction I think I've ever gotten right. (laughs) But the reason Apple added tags to Mavericks was because, uh, iCloud was going to make heavy use of them as they kind of, uh, destroyed our idea of a file system and replaced it with a kind of categorization taxonomy system. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that seems to be exactly what they're doing. I look forward to that. I've, I've, I felt for a while that I'm putting this strongly, but I don't mean it this strongly, but I've kind of felt like for a long time, Spotlight has been a little bit like Automator 
to an extent like dashboard, but I like automator since it's kind of like the worst of both worlds where like automator is way too nerdy for most people to even open and do anything with, but it's not as crazy powerful probably as going out and learning a scripting language. So you're kind of stuck in the middle with spotlight. It's never been great at natural language stuff. You have to go in and like learn that, like what is a kind, what is date, what is type, all that stuff and put it in the right place. It doesn't grok that for you. So if I put in string of text, as the name of something I want to find, and then think, oh, I want it to be a folder. Like I got to change the order and that date that's specifiers. in. Specifiers, date specifiers are rough in Spotlight. Right, right. So I mean, I you know, seeing that stuff. That, I mean, Spotlight has for years been able to um, paper over many many ills. But I just think if you, when you, at the point when you have to go and like learn about Boolean operators and pipes and stuff like that, I think you know <laughs> you're out of the range of most normal people. Oh, absolutely. And half the time, I end up writing my own predicates using like Spotlights. Uh, more like system level uh, query syntax? There's so much more than most people realize. Most people, if you ever go in there, and I forget what the button is, but like show more, it's yeah. crazy. Just OmniFocus alone, you'll see like, oh my God, there's so much OmniFocus data in here I had no idea about. Or yeah, like when you go to show more and then you click the other button. Yes. And all of a sudden you have like every possible <laughs> I know, it's just amazing. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, uh, sleeping. Oh, we're going with sleeping. Well, yeah, way back, it was early on, probably in the single-digit episodes, I had Sean Blanc on. And we talked a little bit about sleep and and my personal sleep habits and or lack of. And I've made a lot of progress since that episode with getting... I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, with getting regular sleep and figuring out how to fall asleep. Uh, but we were talking during the pre-show, and you said you had some uh, some interesting developments in that area. You know, yes. I this is one of those topics. It's like Markdown, where you just you can just feel everybody turning it off. Like when you start talking about sleep or kids, it's or comics, like all the things that I know people get frustrated. But I I just I don't know. I feel kind of like uh, wait 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 wait. Sleep and comics. It's sleep, comics, sleep. kids, and Markdown. <laughs> Okay, sleep and kids, I can see being related. Sleep and markdown? Like, sleep seems like something that affects everybody. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, sleep, it's kind of like German dungeon porn, where, like, if you're into it, you're pretty super into it, but if you're not, you're going to tune out. And what I want you to understand is it's even more important than German dungeon porn. Like, sleep (laughs) is, like, it's, it's just... it's There's so many things where, like, like again, we talked about this a lot on Back to Work, but I feel like there's a, a thing that I notice a lot, which is uh, people, I'll say something like, yeah, you know, I've been really trying hard to get better sleep, better quality sleep, more sleep, trying to do more with sleep in a sensible way. And of course, everybody says the same thing. They say, yeah, you know, I don't get enough sleep. I should really get more sleep. And I say, you know, honestly, you probably should get more sleep. And they go, I know, I really should get more sleep. <laughs> and it's kind of like somebody saying like, you know, I should stop eating barbed wire or something. You're like, no, really, you should quit doing that. And because the there's so much stuff happening in sleep. I mean, the the science really seems to be there. Your brain is doing so much extremely important stuff. If you're if you're having trouble with attention, if you're having trouble with memory, if you're having trouble with your weight, there's so much stuff that has to do with like not giving your body the maintenance time that it needs. I mean, it's 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 all really there. And once you start doing it, you may not notice a profound difference, but believe me, when you go back to not getting sleep, you really do notice it. So you sound like you're sold on the concept, but now it's it's something you're you're still working on. Well, I've got like I'm getting five to five to seven hours a night 
mm-hmm. which is way more than I used to get. Wow. Um, and and I, I'm pretty much pretty much sleeping every night. I have, I have my occasional. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I'm pretty much sleeping every night. Well, good for you. <laughs> I have I have my nights where I'm a little bit. I guess manic and obsessed with something and I will, it'll get to be, it'll get like 3 a.m. and I'll give up and I'll just be like, I'll sleep tomorrow. But that happens more and more rarely. Good. And, uh, and, and I just got a recommendation from uh, a listener and a friend of mine uh, for uh, doxylamine. Mm-hmm. Doxylamine succinate. I'm a fan. And uh, it's it's commonly known as Unisom sleep tabs. And I'm looking forward to trying it because I found myself very dependent on Lunesta lately. Like if I don't have Lunesta, no matter how tired I am, I never actually fall asleep. Mm. And I don't I don't necessarily appreciate being chemically dependent. So I'm yeah, looking no, forward look, to trying less, that. Less rather than more, that is good. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad to hear that, that you're going to give that a try. I've had good luck with that stuff. I think one nice thing that a sleep aid can do... I don't know. I feel like there's a couple. I mean, first of all, like I said, it's important to remember that we, in the pre-show we talked about this. How you know, I think a lot of people, I think, are kind of like me. We're like, I don't have that much trouble falling asleep. I have trouble staying asleep and getting good sleep throughout the night, and that's borne out by any of the dingai that I use, especially these days. My Fitbit, you know, the Fitbit will tell me if I, you know, got up to go to the bathroom and then jostled around for an hour or something like that. And it's become like a video game for me, where I really do. I want to get up every morning and see. I want ninety percent or higher sleep quality you know, every day. Um, so, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that this is a huge rehash. If people have heard this in other places and I apologize, but there's a lot of stuff that you can do environmentally to help out. Can I talk about that a little bit? You may. Okay. I mean, a huge one for me is light. Um, get lots of light in the morning, but then try to have less light at night, less, especially blue light, the kinds of light that you get from like an iPad and a TV. So if you're watching TV to fall asleep until like midnight and then going into a room where you can still see the streetlights and a bright alarm clock, I know you don't believe me, but your eyelids do not work nearly as well as I you totally think. I totally believe you. Yeah. I'm believing once you start doing this, you're not gonna believe the difference. So, I mean, we have blackout curtains. I had the alarm clock on the lowest possible brightness setting. We just do everything we can to eradicate any source of light because I know you don't believe it, listener, but it actually does have an effect on how soundly you'll sleep. We have a um, we have an air uh, what do you call it? like an air cleaner in the room, so that provides purifier. nice air purifier that gives some nice kind of whitish brownish noise. That's really nice to drown out you know stuff happening. And uh, so, but I think there's a couple you know I think there's a couple parts, and the part that people sometimes get is, you know, getting the bed right, trying to go to bed at a certain time. All that stuff is pretty conventional wisdom. But then there's also stuff you can do through the day that it really helps you to prepare for bed in the same way that you would want to prepare in the morning. We give a lot of thought to what we do in the morning. You have a whole ritual, right? You get up, you take a leak, you brush your teeth, you have coffee, you do all this stuff, you take a shower, you get the kids to school, whatever. We all have these morning rituals, but not many of us have nighttime rituals with the same level of maturity. So things like, if you're having trouble sleeping, try as many of these things as you can. Try limiting the amount of time you have in front of a big blue light or big light in general. You know, try and be around warmer light. An iPad in your face in bed is not a great pattern, for example. Um, Doing stuff like, oddly enough, you know, drinking uh, alcohol can really help you fall asleep, but there's a kind of funny boomerang effect that'll happen later that will very likely wake you up. Metabolism. Yeah, everybody's different with that stuff, but that's another one. Now, as far as taking like the Unisom, I'm a fan, 
But Unisom, I think, if nothing else, is really good for helping you train to get into these patterns. So people think that changing their sleep pattern begins with what time they go to sleep. And so they say, well, I'm going to make myself go to sleep at 7 o'clock, and that's virtually impossible. So then they try to hack it and say, well, no, I'm going to change my sleep by getting up at 5 o'clock. And those things can work, but they tend not to be sustainable. Pick a, like a sane time to go to bed. If you want to go to bed at 10, make a deal with yourself that you're going to change your schedule for that week. You know, oh, crazy as this sounds, just try it. Try picking a time that's kind of sane for you. And you might want to pick an hour or two earlier than normal. So if you go to bed at 2, try going to bed at midnight. If you go to bed at midnight, try going to bed at 10. In as much as you can. And the nice thing about something like a Unisom, I, it's not great to be dependent on them forever, but it can help you get into that habit to start. You know what I mean? Yeah. To sort of take the edge off to help you, you get to sleep. But then it really is all on you to then, you know, also do stuff like make sure you don't take your ADD medicine at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can you attest ever, that. You that ever that take is, the wrong thing at the wrong time? I have. <laughs> Accidentally? It is a really bad idea. Uh, yeah. Especially with slow release stuff. Oh, I got a funny story for you. I can't say it on air, but I have a very funny story for you. <laughs> I'll check in with you later. I was going to say, though, that lighting, um, yeah. I use, uh, and I'm sure you do too, Flux. Yeah. And I found like I my lights in my office are all on they're all automated and I can hit various lighting patterns. And if I'm coding after seven, which I've actually been trying to cut back on, um, if I'm coding after seven, I'll flip on uh uh a setting, uh, like a scene that cuts down to just two lamps next to my desk that are filtered yellow. And my screen automatically filters yellow in the evening hours. And I've, I have found that actually makes a difference in my ability to relax and fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's an, so just so for folks who don't know, one or two of you out there, Flux is an app that runs in the background on your app. You enter in, it helps you geolocate where you are. And then basically Flux will know what time sunset and sunrise are. And it's slowly over, I have it set to like an hour, but it'll adjust the, the temperature of lighting to become more yellow. And boy, if you want to test on <laughs> whether this blue light thing really matters, use Flux, use your computer for a while, and then at 9 o'clock, turn off Flux and see what it looks like. <laughs> it's painful. It hurts. It's so blinding. But your eyes get used to those blue lights. So, I mean, I do dumb stuff. If I'm, I'm going to watch a movie, I you know have these presets on our TV. And I have one a preset that I made, uh, <laughs> I think based on John Syracuse's recommendations. I have one called Movie Setting, which is pretty dark. You know, um, yeah. it, it brings down a lot of the brightness as opposed to like vivid or game mode. And uh, I'm not saying that's perfect. I mean, I've discovered, for example, I probably shouldn't watch like three episodes of Orange is the New Black before bedtime. I did that last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just got into it in the last few days. Wow. Are you on season one or two? I hopped around. I've watched a few episodes. <laughs> you season one. have to see them in order. Well, you know, I read up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. The, I, one of my suggestions, actually, you know what? I don't want to get ahead. But my picks involve... We're uh, about to get to top picks, so... But, you know, here, here, let me just say this, though. I mean, the people who are, are you know, sleep fanatics like me are going to try and, like, talk you into this whole bill of goods. This seems so, so totally undoable, you know? But just try a couple things. You know, try a couple little things. If you're going to read, if you got to use your iPad, maybe try going into iBooks and turning it into real dark mode. Yeah. But, you know, give yourself, you don't have to do all this. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it does take a sustained effort to work on it a little bit every day. And I just, I swear to God, you will feel so much less stupid if you get a little more sleep. 
And the stuff that's happening, you can go and read about this all, go to the web and search for this, but the stuff that's happening in your body is so critical when you sleep. And you, you rob yourself of really basic life-sustaining maintenance um, when you don't get a decent night's sleep. You can't really catch up on sleep. You can't stay up for three nights and then sleep for 16 hours. It doesn't really help. No, it doesn't. You know, the damage is done. So, <laughs> Sorry, I ranted a lot there. No, that's, that's all right. I needed to hear a lot of that. So thank this is you. Your, it's your 100th up. It's your C-note, and I'm sitting here ranting about sleep. That's why I invited you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do our, our next sponsor, and then I'm really looking forward to these top picks. Me too. HostGator offers Linux VPS hosting, the perfect bridge between shared hosting and dedicated servers. Their VPS plans are completely customizable to match your specific hosting needs and can easily be upgraded to dedicated servers as your site grows. HostGator has fully managed 24-7, 365 support, along with root access for complete control of your container and weekly off-site backups. They offer one-click installers for whichever compatible platform you use. The servers are scalable, so no more adding resources. Uh, I'm sorry. So adding resources is super easy. Uh, visit HostGator.com and use the code DANSENTME for 50% off of all VPS hosting. 50%. Mm. That's huge. That's a lot of percent. I do love a good VPS. Mm-hmm. All right. So top picks. Uh, let, let's do our round robin. You get to start. Uh, I, uh, I'm i a fan of uh, Hog Bay software and the stuff that Jesse does there. I, I've <laughs> You can't stop talking about this, can you? What? Folding Did you hear text. me talk about it somewhere else? Where uh, was I talking about it? Oh, on the Twitter? On the Twitter and uh, just now on Back to Work. Oh, I didn't know you were listening. That show was a mess. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll, 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 very briefly, I'll just say that folding text is a very, I mean, you play with it. I mean, right? I love it. Yeah. It's very and, cool. You know, I was blown away. I dropped a .ft file onto Marked and it worked. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's Markdown. So all, okay, but .ft, it's, so it's, is that just for its own internal purposes? Yeah. It's really just a text file? Marked will read any extension. Oh, okay. So as long as it's actually Markdown content, yeah. I'm still living in the 80s on my Mac, I guess. <laughs> uh, I have to go into File Buddy and make sure that I can change the settings. Um, but uh, it's a very it's a very interesting app, and it's the first app uh, text editor since NV Alt that's made me really kind of go, hmm, this is an interesting way to think about your work. Uh, and in a nut, I would just go to Folding News at foldingtext.com. Just go and check it out because it's Folding Text 2 is super interesting. It's a markdown editor, very simple in a lot of ways. There aren't a whole lot of... Uh, Things even in preferences to set, uh, but there are it does have extensibility. Uh, but in a nut, it's this: it's a Markdown editor, but it also lets you have these things called modes, where you can add in a, like a timer inside. So if there's steps to a process or along the lines of a recipe, you can create a timer where it will actually ding inside and give you notifications inside the app. Super interesting, and I, I found it to be a, a very interesting way to plan it, uh, like a, a morning's worth of work. You right, because it has uh, it has to do support. It works like a, an evolved version of task paper. Yeah, exactly. So there's timers, and there are was it dot to do or dot yeah, task? dot to do, dot to do. And so, really, something as simple as a uh, what would you call that? Like he uses dashes to yeah. to delineate the line the items, and then you can have these tags that function like context. The thing that blew me away that I you've already heard this, but the thing that I thought was so neat is that combination of folding and focusing. Mm-hmm. So folding where you can go in and actually. I don't know. It's really smart. You don't have. You can go in and just say, "Fold up just this this one thing. Like hide all these bullets. Hide everything under this, you know, H two or whatever." But then I thought the focusing thing was very interesting too, because if you are using these tags, 
So like in a GTD context, well, in GTD context, you could have like at errands, at Mac, at whatever, but you can use it for any kind of a taxonomy. It could be like a title for a book or an idea for a blog post. And then focusing enables you to say like focus on this tag and it will show you just the lines in that entire document that include that tag. So I've only been playing around with it for a few days seriously, but I'm already, I already feel like there's some intriguing things that you could do with it. And What's your part, take? The part you probably intentionally left out because it's uber nerdy. Those little fold-in things? The, uh, no, what are they? it's the XPath query syntax. That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. You so can, how does that work? You can, you can basically write your own commands to go right, inside there? Right, you can do all kinds of things uh, similar to what you could do with AppleScript in TaskPaper, but now you can query things using XPath to get down to like certain tags or certain tags under a certain heading or, or certain uh, strings, things containing a certain string that happen to be under a project name containing this tag, et cetera. Right. So you can, you can build these, you can extend it uh, really, really far. Yeah. It's, you know, there's not any one particular thing about it because any, any one of these little, um, Pieces of functionality, you would say, oh, well, Emacs does that, or TextMate does that, or Sublime Text does that, or ByWord does that. But I haven't seen an app that does all of these quite so well or minimally together. Like so, stuff as simple as like hide the formatting for this bolded text and just show me the bolded text. Right. I, I really like that. Just show this link as a link. Don't show me all the brackets and everything. I know other things do that, but to have all these in this one place in this one simple app – I think it's, a, it's I think it's very interesting to look at. It won't replace MVAlt for me anytime soon, but I wouldn't use it the same way. I would right. use it for like a long, like a large document. Yeah, I actually have it set up often as a uh, an external editor for MVAlt, and I'll have FT files in MVAlt, which will show as Markdown. Right. But then if I hit Command E, it will edit them in folding text, where I have suddenly all of these capabilities for them. And you know, checking off a task in folding text alters the markdown so in nbl it shows as a completed task as well but it's all still just text yeah so it's totally portable yes and i love that and jesse is truly my definition of a mad scientist <laughs> i like that guy so yeah that's my first pick is folding text by hogbay software all right well my first pick is one that i actually i think it was just last week i mentioned this band but in that week, I, I during WWDC, I listened to nothing but this band because once I once I was really hooked, nothing else sounded good to me anymore. Whoa! And yeah, it's it's intense. I haven't I haven't loved a band this much since the first time I discovered Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Um, and the band is the Coup, and uh, and they've been around for like twenty years now. They have a dozen some albums out. And it took me this long to really find them. And at first, like last week, I was attracted to their their sound, which is this really great kind of like live hip hop, funk, little bit of rock kind of sound. Um, and, you know, they describe themselves as hip hop. I think there's something um, like a fusion beyond hip hop. But uh, but then I really started listening to the lyrics and the lyrics have sent me back to. I used to be like a real, like a punk rock activist. I was out at every rally. I campaigned for Nader and all this stuff. And uh, I campaigned against two-party systems. And I kind of let all that go. But this is the most intelligent take I have ever heard on political topics. And normally I've avoided political music for a long time. 
And this, this brought me back because it delivers brilliant, brilliant takes on uh, a core message that I agree with all to the soundtrack of really, really catchy hip hop grooves. That sounds great. And they're from Oakland, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and their videos, if you look up their videos on YouTube, like there's, uh, on the, on their latest album, there's a track called the guillotine and the video is this wizard of Oz. It's, it's low budget and awesome. Do you, do you have a certain uh, album that you yeah, recommend their, starting with? Yeah, their latest album, uh, Sorry For... Sorry To Bother You? Yeah. Sorry To Bother You is... It's by far... Like, I've listened to everything at this point. And Sorry To Bother You is the most mature musically. And therefore, the lyrics really carry. There's a song on there called... Um, let me get this right. You've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot to teach you, Cassius Green. <laughs> and it's a slow kind of balladish song where he raps about it's the corporate world in the guise of like a children's storybook about monsters. Wow. And it is, it's intense. Like the first time you actually sit there and listen to the lyrics, I usually skip the slow songs. It's a personality thing. <laughs> but the first time I let this play, I was like, Whoa. And it actually became one of my favorite tracks on the album. I'll check it out today. It sounds great. It is. Uh, I, I apologize if you dislike it, mm. but I, I from for me, it's the greatest band I've discovered in so long, and I had. Isn't that a great feeling to know there's still stuff out there that you can get into? Oh, I love it. I love I that love feeling. It. I love. I love knowing that I'm not that curmudgeon that's stuck on like Rush. <laughs> now careful. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, ever seen that do- have you seen that recent documentary on Netflix about them? About Rush? You're probably not a Rush fan. I'm, I don't mind Rush. Like, Rush was a good band. Now, that would be a good t-shirt. I don't mind Rush. <laughs> I don't mind Rush. I'm not super into them. No, not good Limbaugh. Yeah. Hmm? Hmm. What? <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway. So, The Coup. Yes. The C-O-U. Coup. We should mention C-O-U-P, like a coup d'etat. Yes, coup d'etat. exactly. An uprising. Yes. I, right. just yelled, I think I just yelled the Circle Jerks lyric. <laughs> that was my first punk rock show I ever went to was the Circle Jerks. Yeah. I was going to say, you ha- you have the, the like I would say the coup is it's punk rock hip hop. And you have that background to some extent, right? You're kidding me. I'm from the streets, as they say. <laughs> well, it's funny. When you sent me some videos, your that video of your band, my first thought was my last punk rock show I remember going to, which was GBH. Oh, wow. Which was a little violent for me. <laughs> yeah. GBH yeah. and Agnostic Front at oh, the Cuban wow. Club in 1986 or so. That could get violent. Yeah. There was a lot of very unhappy, angry, let's say, people there. You remember MDC? Mm-hmm. I got to Nin- open for MDC. Had various things. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I got to open for them. Like they were a little older. Ah, like sure. I'm not. I'm not old enough to have been there in the like 80s. But, but I got to open, and it was a great show at the Temple in New York. Millions of deadly cholesterol. <laughs> That's what they are. A little, older, a little heavier. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he had he had gotten off the the speed train, and. uh Maybe, maybe lack some of the frenetic energy he had before. Did he have a rascal? (laughs) No, he did not. He was, he was quite spry. Good for him. (sighs) Should I do my number two? You should. You know what I mean? I'll make a number two. My number two is, uh, oh boy, I didn't see myself saying this a couple months ago. The Amazon Fire TV. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> um, like I've said, my, my family just, you know, gosh, what do we have? We don't have cable. Um, we have, but we do have a, of the current array of, of things that we have, uh, we've got a Blu-ray player that we very rarely plug in. We've got, uh, we've had an Apple TV, the latest Apple TV. We've got a Roku, whatever the latest is, Roku 3, Roku HD, whatever the latest one is. And, uh, somebody was nice enough to, uh, gift me from my wish list, uh, an Amazon Fire TV. And my expectations were low because, not low, my expectations were muted because the Roku has been so great for us. It's been, do you have any of these dinguses? I, I just, yeah, I've had three uh, incarnations of the Roku and all of the Apple TVs. Okay. Yeah, we go back with the Apple TV too, back to the like, you know, hard drive days. Yep. But um, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's bad Ethernet cable or just the company hates me, but I, you know, we have finally gotten to a point where we only use our Apple TV to watch stuff we've bought. That's, can you believe that? That's true. I mean, it's really crazy. And it feels, everything I, that was frustrating to me about the current Apple TV, yes, I understand, it'll get better eventually. <laughs> but everything that's frustrating about my experience with iTunes and the Apple TV, you know, currently unavailable, authorizing. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you get this, but like it takes me to go from we want to watch TV to watching TV. I don't think it's ever been less than 30 seconds, and it can be 20 minutes. It's pretty bananas. Yes. Got to start the whole stack just to get it to go. Oh, I never heard of that problem. Okay, well, then you don't use this stuff as much as I do. <laughs> but I'll tell you, buddy, we got that Amazon uh, Fire TV, and it's blazingly fast. It's improbably fast. So, I mean, stuff like uh, Netflix, stuff like Plex, uh, that kind of stuff. The truth is that we eventually just unplugged the um, the Roku. We're not even using the Roku, which we love right now. We're we're purely on the Amazon Fire TV and the Apple TV. And I just I don't know. I just thought I'd toss it out there, not so much to get you to go buy one, but just to say that like somebody like me, a dyed in the wool Apple guy, I now use my Apple TV to watch stuff we've bought. But even if we have to watch Netflix, I'm going to pop over to the Fire because it doesn't it have something like four times more RAM or something like that. I, I mean, no idea. But that is that's intriguing to me because. I flip between my Roku and my Apple TV because each one has strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And I, I would love to have one device that kind of uh, brought it all together. Like the Roku has it like it, you, on the YouTube channel. I can oh, if, if the Roku's running and I open my Mac to YouTube and I find the video I want, I can just hit play on Roku. Oh, that's a neat feature. I thought you were going to talk about the the funny part is the YouTube app on Roku. It's like a twelve year old kid got the SDK and had some time to kill before school. <laughs> Where it really, it's the most basic. I guess there's certain kinds of I don't know what you call it, but like the different views. Yeah. And there's that one very basic view, which is let's go left and right through tiles, and right. it's brutal. It's yes. so bad. But Whereas, that's the beauty of being able to use yes the web interface and just yeah. Do you push it. Do, I've never used Plex myself, but have you ever used Plex? I, I have. It's been a long time, but I have the channel on my Roku now. I you're added with it. What, you're familiar with what, generally speaking, Plex does? Yes. Oh, boy, is it ever fast. Um, it's great. And the, the, it's not the greatest interface in the world. I think I, I like the Plex interface on Roku better, but it's it's just crazy how fast, you know, I guess all that extra processor speed must be helping with encoding. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think we might have it on direct stream, but still, anyhow, I would just say, like, you know, um, if you're if you're looking for a dingus, I, you know, the Roku is pretty great. 
I really, really like it. I can, I can very much recommend it to people. Um, but the uh, you might want to at least if you if you have a friend with an Amazon Fire TV, you might want to have a look at it because it turned it worked way better than I expected. I assume it's 1080p. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks real sharp. It yeah. it just it looks really really good. I just I just got a 65 inch television. What? Which is, it's way big. I didn't realize how big 65 inches was when I when I was bought your, it. Was your lady out of town? <laughs> yes, <laughs> she was. It was made abundantly clear to me when I made the case for getting a slightly larger TV. I had to go through an entire process to explain how big it would be. And ours is like under 40 inches, but it's still, yeah, it's like 30, almost 40 inches. Well, to be fair, she had said uh, like a year ago, she said, we got to get a bigger TV because we had like a 30 something inch. I I wish we had a bigger one. We were watching Pacific Rim. And she mm-hmm. said, we have to get a bigger TV. So I, I searched deals for like six months looking Isn't for... Isn't it amazing what you can find now for the money? Isn't oh, it, it is. It is. And and I was like, if, if I find something at a reasonable price or a reasonable discount over 50 inches and I do the research, then I'm going to buy it. And I found one. It was half price and it was wow. 65 inches. So I ordered it and the guy showed up with it. And I, I said to him, that's... Uh, it's a really big box. <laughs> You're sweet. To I say believe so. my words were, "That's a really big package." And mm. he says, "And he says it's padded." Mm-hmm. Well, we, um, yeah, yeah, we, we. I think ours was. We got a Christmas before last. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it was five hundred dollars. <laughs> but it was criminal. I mean, like, like compared to like what something like that used to cost. Anyway, yeah. that's you know, we, I'll tell you where I notice it. Um, Different places. Now that I have glasses that work, I notice the difference. But I'll tell you, um, watching something like The Incredibles, where you can go in and like just you notice things like people's freckles. It's yeah. like I, I kind of wish we had a bigger screen for stuff like that. And you don't notice the fact that on a lower refresh rate or a, a worse resolution, there would be blur in motion. Yeah. And and the nice thing about a good large television is that you don't have to think about that. You don't see it, so you don't even remember that it used to be like that. Well, I don't understand. Because it has a lower refresh rate on yeah. a big screen? Like you get under, you get down to like 50 megahertz refresh rate. Oh, oh gosh. Can't you see like a blinky effect? Yeah. It's almost like a trail. Mm. And and it's very, it's very uh, distracting. Mm. But I don't get that anymore. It's uh, It's beautiful now. That's my pick. Uh, oddly enough, Amazon Fire TV. Awesome. I, uh, I'm, I'm, curi- I'm very curious. Maybe I can get someone to buy me one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my second pick is a combo pick. It's, uh, it's basically iPhone photography is my pick. But the combination of an Allo clip, a miniature tripod, a glyph, and the shutter remote. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So... You can buy all this, but I also found there are kits that give you all of this functionality with a few less uh, bells and whistles. Like you can pick up, um, uh, let's see, iPhone 5 camera lens clip, clip kit, including eight times telephoto lens, mini tripod, universal phone holder, hard case, etc. You can get that for 30 bucks on Amazon. And the combination I'm talking about will cost you over 100 um, so there are options and, and really, I don't know if it matters which direction you go, but being able to set up a tripod, focus in with a telephoto or wide photo lens, and then step back and click a button 
to take the pictures, you can get amazing, absolutely amazing photos out of an iPhone. How do you do the, do you do the focus on screen? You click to do mm-hmm. focusing and then it, it holds it there? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, when I first heard, when I was doing more SLR stuff, when I first heard about, you know, tripod, 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 like always be steadying that, I thought, hmm, you know, that's super pro stuff, but I could not believe the difference. The combination of being as still as possible, taking five pictures, and then there's one of them that would be like 10 times better, and yep. you don't know why. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, but yeah, you, you don't even get the, the, so you're using a remote, which means you're not getting that little vibration. Right. Which okay. I found, it, I have very, very shaky hands. <laughs> Always have. Like ever since I was like 10, just vibrating hands. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, being able to step back and just hit a button without touching the phone means a way more, a way higher chance of getting a still shot. Did you mention what app you shoot photos in? I Well, I use a combination. Like I, I generally default to Apple's photo app it's pretty good yeah plus it's accessible from the flip up from the bottom panel do you use like visco yes that's my other one that i i use frequently i used to that's use a pretty uh, am- pretty amazing app camera camera kit kit cam kit camera i i forget now but it's it's no longer updated so i stopped using it but yeah v vsco mm-hmm. is yeah it's an outstanding app uh some of the there was a video going around i don't know from was it the guardian maybe a guy going around London taking pictures, showing you what you could do with, you know, your camera and mobile apps. And it, what people do with that app is pretty great. It's not all just like, oh, it's a sad bird on a wire for Instagram. Like you could do some pretty amazing stuff with that. Yeah. And then for, for what do you use for, uh, like I use uh, Snapseed for doing editing. What do you do for, for editing photos? Uh, all my, I don't do editing on the iPhone. Okay. I, uh, I drop, like, like I said, Dropbox does an auto download. Every time I plug my phone in. Right. And then I'll just edit uh, photos from there. It's going to be pretty neat, pretty neat in iOS 8 though, huh? To have that kind of stuff right in your yes. app. Yes, it will. That's a terrific example of what the extensions are going to mean, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'm excited. I'm too. All right. What's your third pick? Oh, God, it's so lame. My pick is Deadwood, the TV show. Um, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, you know, they added, I, I was so excited to hear that a bunch of the old HBO shows were coming to Amazon Prime. And uh, because, you know, like, like a lot of liberal arts, uh, middle-aged dorks, like a lot of my favorite shows from the last 20 years have been those shows on HBO. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes been, a, I'm just going to say, I don't like physical media. I know there are fans out there. But I, the idea of like buying, like we have The Wire um, I think I don't remember. We've got certain seasons of The Wire, but it's DVD. Unfortunately, The Wire I think <laughs> was just shot at like you know four by three and like yeah. on the back of uh, somebody somebody's Android phone. But <laughs> but the other shows look great. There's so much stuff in HD, and it's just it's perfect for binge watching. So now, I mean, I watched all all three episodes of Deadwood again in like less than two weeks. Did and you mean seasons? What did I say? Episodes? Episodes. Sorry, I meant seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I wondered uh, if it was like Sherlock. No, 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 no. No, sorry, I meant seasons. But, you know, and now I've, uh, you know, again, it's a nice compliment to the Amazon Fire, you know, because it's all right on there. But I would just say Deadwood, if you've never watched it, it really is a wonderful show. And if you have watched it, like, like a lot of folks have, get, watch it again. It really, it really holds up. I don't remember it staying as good as it did 
but it's it's really it's really awfully good and in the stage of binge watching i think it's easy to kind of run out of stuff and it's nice to have another one out there so i just want to put out deadwood and it's made me think a lot about uh all kinds of stuff around uh, relationships and work and uh how how elsewhere engine runs a town well that after i finish the uh as i call it oitb mm-hmm. oitnb which mm-hmm. my wife still she still looks at me funny every time but as soon as I, I finish last week, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> as soon as I finish Orange is the New Black, that that sounds like a good place to to pick up my next binge watch. What a cast! Yeah. What an amazing cast! In Deadwood, oh, Orange is the New Black. Oh yeah, absolutely, just amazing. And yeah, uh, they it's really well developed. I mean, generally, women in prison would sound more like um, yeah, Roger Corman kind of fair. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's really good. Um, all right. So I'm making a mark. And let's see. My third pick is also not as exciting as the rest of our fair, but it is called Cocktail. And it's a Mac app that will handle all of your maintenance. It's actually from a uh, uh, developer named Maintain. But, uh, but it handles all your maintenance. It can do all kinds of tweaks to your... Operating system like turning on developer menus and things I use like that. I use Onyx, but I but I've used Cocktail. In yeah, the past. Cocktail is just like a slightly more polished version of Onyx. Onyx got can do have, a lot of it. You guys have got to have one of these apps. I mean, it's unless you're like the giantest nerd in the world. Anytime you're, I, mean, I didn't mean to hijack your thing, but like people, I don't think there are, there are people out there that don't realize like running this thing every week or three can make a huge improvement to how your Mac runs. It can, and clearing caches, especially yep. if you're on a laptop clear up some space and speed up your system. And it's way better than like all those fake defrag programs and everything. Right. Or like memory optimization. No, this is effective. And a lot of it's just, it's a, isn't it kind of just a front end to a lot of the Unix stuff that would or can run in the background anyway. Right. It, uh, it'll first, first thing it'll do is actually run the default daily, weekly and monthly scripts that OS 10 is supposed to run, but mm-hmm. doesn't always do to scheduling issues and launch D issues. So it'll run those and then it'll clean out all of your caches and you can select which caches you don't want to clean. It'll, it'll do re- the mail vacuuming thing. It, I believe the latest version does do mail vacuum, but um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about, I saw an app at WWDC that, uh, that does that and many other things. It's going to be really powerful. It's a, it's an app that exists now, but their next version is not only beautiful, yeah. but very, very powerful. I'll be excited to talk about that when it comes out. But I should, I should look at Cocktail again. It's so much prettier than any of the other ones. I don't know why I got into Onyx because well, I've used co- Cocktail for years, but it's, it's, it's certainly the prettiest of those apps I've ever it used. It is. It is. And Onyx, Onyx is free and it looks like a free app. It's very powerful. <laughs> But uh, but it is definitely of the free uh, persuasion. Good pick. All right. So that's actually the end of the show. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Ep- episode 100. Look at you. 100. I, I, and I haven't missed a week yet. Man. I need a vacation. Yeah. Episode 101 will be broadcast from uh, Bermuda, I think. <laughs> well, on behalf of all of your uh, all of your listeners and fans, thank you for doing the show. Uh, I want to tell you now. So, so what do you call the thing you do? Audio drop. Yeah. 
I think that's been a tremendous success. I've really enjoyed the people that you've had on who I'd never heard. I mean, some of them ended up being friends of mine, people like Don Schaffner and stuff. But like, it was really neat. It's been really neat to hear like smart people who aren't everywhere already. I think you've done a really nice job with it. Thanks. I've really enjoyed that part. Well, you also sound much more relaxed than you did at the start. <laughs> I am. Good. It's, it's all the drinking I do now. That's the spirit. <laughs> the spirits. Um. Yeah. So, so if you had to tell people where to find you and they had never heard of you, where would you send them? I need a better answer for this. Um, I don't know. You could listen to Roderick on the line where you could listen to, uh, you know, just, uh, don't, don't, don't look for me. You can go to my Tumblr, Tumblr, Kung Fu Grip, Kung, Kung Fu Grip. Sure. That's good. Okay. Um, and, and I think I've said it before, but, uh, but Roderick on the line is such a great podcast. Thanks for listening, man. Uh, John helps a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. He, the combination of you two is, uh, I didn't mean you two like the band, but the combination of the two of you is, it's its a very, it's a potent combination. Well, it means a lot to me. I, I really enjoy doing that show. So, so thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for doing it. And here's to a uh, hundred more. Thank you. And I am Brett Terpstra. I am TT Scoff, just about everywhere you would care to look for me. And you can find me at brettterpster.com where I blog um, some seriously nerdy stuff that probably won't pertain to a lot of people. But for those who are interested in becoming Mac Power Power users, it's a good spot to stop. Um, so thanks a ton for being here, Merlin, for episode 100. Thank you. My pleasure. And we will talk to everybody in a week. <laughs> <laughs>